city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God and the twelve over him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private needs. So Jesus continues traveling a lot. Uh, I suppose that wasn't necessarily convenient, comfortable. But a lot of people needed to hear the message. He kept proclaiming and teaching the kingdom of kingdom of God wherever he was. There was an urgency. Twelve are with him. But it's not just the twelve that are with him. Who else is with him? Some women. Yeah, these various women. Uh, some have been healed. Mary uh, Magdalene, that he cast seven demons out of, and Joanna, the wife of Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and a lot of others. And what are those women doing for him? Giving him money. Yeah, they are financing, bankrolling uh, Jesus and his apostles. I mean, have you ever wondered how Jesus ate? You know, he doesn't really have a job. You know, but that apparently they got donations from some of these women and probably other people. Well, in John, we find out G- Judas was like the treasurer. He like held the money bag and kind of oversaw the financial uh, side of things. So these women are among those who are providing support for Jesus to be able to do this without having to hold down a job. There's a lot of passages like this in Luke where you see the men and the women or the man and the woman. So here's the apostles and the women. Can you think of some other paired men and women in Luke? We we had one last week because you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. Well, think about, we just mentioned Simeon, Simeon and Anna in the temple. Zacharias and Elizabeth. You know, the widow of Zarephath and Naaman as two examples of people being healed. The the demon-possessed person and Simon's mother-in-law. The centurion and the widow of Nain. That's what we had last time. The man that loses a sheep. The woman that loses a coin. You know, and just on and on. There's a lot of those. Uh, you know, Luke does a lot of that. In Acts, he'll do a lot of, like, both men and women are persecuted, both men and women were converted, both men and women believed, things like that. <clears throat> All right, comments or questions on those first three verses? Well, does this mean that the women traveled with him too? I think so, at least at this point. Yeah, that's my understanding. He was. I, I think there were people who traveled with him besides just the twelve. Maybe not everywhere all the time and all that. Right? Stewart would be pretty high up there. You're right. Yeah, kind of, and probably maybe have some wherewithal financially. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we come to the parable of the sower, 4 to 15. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rock, on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop 
a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant, and he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Okay. So you've got this story about the sower sowing the seed. Look at the prepositions. In verse 5, some fell beside. In verse 6, some fell on. Verse 7, some fell among. And verse 8, some fell into. Yeah, that's just one way of kind of drawing attention to the diversity of the soils. Depending on the type of soil, it kind of comes into contact with it in a different way. They would be familiar with this kind of an idea of people broadcasting seed, maybe with their hand or something like that. Just throw it out. It's going to land on different kinds of soils. And uh, so... You know, this is a story where Jesus gives the parable, but he doesn't leave it to us to figure out what the meaning is. He tells us. So we've got our, his own interpretation. But notice in the end of verse 8, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, you know, we need to really listen up and reflect on what Jesus says. And really, this is a parable about hearing. So it's appropriate that he say that. The disciples' question was what this means. And he says, well, you can know, but the rest get it in parables, so they won't. You know, the re- when you reject Jesus, there are consequences. And, you know, some of these, you know, they were rejecting the truth. So Jesus makes it to where they can't get it. You know, those who reject get a story that keeps them from understanding what God is doing. But the disciples that love the Lord and willing to do his will, they get a further explanation so that they will understand. Jesus doesn't necessarily want everybody to get it. People who have hard hearts and hard heads and reject him, he's not necessarily communicating in a way that they're going to understand at all. So, what is it that's sown? What's the seed? The word. All right. And so what happens when the word is preached? Sown. It's sown. A lot of different places. A lot of different... Soils. Which means a lot of different... People's people's hearts. That's right. I mean, people respond different ways. When the word is planted, a spiritual battle takes place. You know... 
it goes into various places and there are various results. Um, but the, how the word of God is heard is really a decisive factor in what happens. So, what if it falls on this uh, wayside soil? Uh, the beside the road soil, what happens? Not much. Yeah, because it's too hard. Too hard. Yeah, there are a bunch of people who are too hard, hearted, hard-headed. We might say to ever listen, and the gospel never really penetrates, never really gets any to them. And then there are these that are on the rocky soil. And what happens with them? They're excited. Yeah, really start doing great. But? They don't have any roots. Yeah, their roots are all along the surface. Their roots don't penetrate. And so they have no stability in difficult times. They're excited. In fact, if you take a plant like that, I bet you anything, the plant, when there was plenty of water and it wasn't too hot, would grow faster than the other plants. Because so little is being, in, so little of the nourishment and so forth is going into the root development. It's all growing into, going into the top growth. So this may end up looking like the best plant of all in the short run. But because there's no depth of root, what ends up happening? Yeah, believe for a while, and then they they are uh, in a difficult time. They fall away, and then what about the seed among the thorns? What happens to it? It grows, but then it gets choked out. Yeah, and so it never really bears fruit because there's just way too much competition for the light and the nourishment, the water, whatever, and so it just kind of you know doesn't do anything. And then the good soil, well, they bear fruit with perseverance. And this is this is a great, uh, great positive response. Um, so, why does Jesus teach this? What's he trying to get them to see? Well, there have been a lot of mixed responses to Jesus so far. Maybe the disciples were wondering, are we doing something wrong? <laughs> yes. I think that's one thing. I think this explains the negative responses to Jesus' teaching. What would you expect? It The, the word sometimes falls into places where it can't grow good. People aren't all responsive to that. So when when we teach the gospel to somebody who's got a bad heart... And they don't respond well. How should we feel about that? Where did we go wrong, right? It's where the seed landed. Yeah, exactly. The seed, the seed. The key isn't the sower. Same sower in all the soils. The change, the difference was the soils. What else do you think? Why else do you think he taught this parable? For them to look at themselves. Yes. Because... This is a parable what everyone is. You're one of those soils. So this, this, everybody's in one of those categories. Can we work on being the correct category? Yes, I think we can. 
So I think this should be telling up, telling us, okay, what do I need? What do I do, need to do to my heart to get it to be a good place for the word to fall? You know, we study the word, we hear it taught, and all that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's falling in good soil. So what can I do to my heart to help? Well, what can I do to keep from being that wayside soil? Yeah, soften your heart. You know, have an open mind. Humble yourself. You know, really let the word come in. What can I do to keep from being the uh, uh, rocky soil? Sink your roots deep instead of just being flashy. Yeah, exactly. How do you sink your roots deep? Is it, it sounds good. That's a good theory. But what are what you do to do that? I mean, if it were just like regular dirt, if we were talking about in a garden, one one thing you're supposed to do when you plant plants or seed is make sure that the soil is loose enough. Yeah. And it's good. not hard and clay. So to continue that softening your heart, softening the soil. That's one thing, because then the roots can go deep and can be. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's good. I mean, think about, you know, to deepen your roots, you need to deepen your faith, deepen your commitment, uh, deepen your closeness to the Lord. You know, I mean, Christianity is not just things that you do that look good. You know, Christianity has to do with your relationship with God. The, the level of, of commitment and focus and, and, and trust. And so this is something where we've got to work on a deeper faith, a deeper closeness, a deeper commitment to the Lord. Does that make sense? And then what would we do to avoid being the uh, thorny ground? the weeds. Absolutely. we got to worry, weed out the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life. You know, sometimes we just got too much going on. You know, we're, we're involved in too much, there's too much distracting us. And so we need a good weeding. And it doesn't have to be all horrible stuff. You know, it can be fine stuff that's just taken over the garden that belongs to the Lord. And so a good weeding would help. Um, and you don't want corn in a soybean field. That's right. Although you sometimes get it. Um, and so, the, the other thing that you might see in this is, you know, the positive response. You know, this the seed and the good soil are the ones who've heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. You know, I mean, you get a bumper crop in the good soil. You know, God's working in this soil and, and it yields a great harvest. So, don't get discouraged when the word falls into hearts that are inadequate. Keep working on planting it. It'll get into some good hearts and it'll be amazing what happens. Yes? Well, and even with the good soil, that takes work. I mean, it fall, the seed falls into the good soil, but you still have to hold it fast and mm-hmm. bear fruit and have perseverance. So, yes, it's not. It's not to say that it could 
The soil doesn't have to stay good. <laughs> so to right. Speak. That's right. Yeah. The soil is going to go back and forth, and so good soil is not guaranteed that it won't turn bad. Other thoughts? 16 to 18. Now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Well, this is a little more cryptic, don't you think? No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container. Well, it makes sense. Or puts it under a bed, right? Put on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see the light. Uh, why is Je- Jesus teaching principles of illumination 101? What's the lamp? That's a challenge, isn't it? But what have we been talking about? The word. The word. Thy word is a light into my path, lamp into my feet and a light into my pathway. Isn't that what, Psalm 119, 105, is that right? I think it is. Uh, I think that's what he means. I think he's saying that the, the word is a light, and where does it need to be? Not closed up on the shelf, right? It needs to lighten my path. I need to learn it, know it, and let it show me where to go and what to do. And then he says, for nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be made, no, not be known and come to light. I think the point is, God wants that light to be seen and heard, not hidden. He wants us to spread it. He wants us to light up the world around us with his word. But then he says, so take care how you listen. We need to be careful to listen uh, and with understanding, but also with a desire to follow and apply what it says. Uh, why is it so important that we listen and heed the message? Well, according to this, if you... If you've got it you'll get more, and if you don't got it, you'll lose it. But I'm not entirely sure what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you'll lose your understanding if you don't put it into practice. I think that's the idea. Take care how you listen. How should we listen? Well, open heart, eager to receive, and to do it. You know, look at verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. We've got to be ready to practice it. That's how we hear well. You know, and so if we hear that way, we're, we're heeding it, we're doing what it says, then we'll learn more and we'll understand more and more. But if we, you know, uh, if we think we've got it, but we don't do anything with it, we'll lose what we've got. It's almost like a foreign language. What do you have to do when you learn a foreign language? Use it, use it, use it. And if you don't use it, you... Lose it. I had two years of French. 
really three, but <laughs> counted for half each time of in junior high school. I remember Quebec at Dunville Charmant, the Très Interessant. Just Quebec is a very interesting and charming city. That's what I remember. That has not come in overly handy for me, you know, in everyday conversation, you know. But it's what I remember. That's about the only dialogue thing. I could probably come up with a handful of words and phrases, but that's it. I had the equivalent of two years, really three years of French. I didn't use it. You take this word and you learn it and you don't do anything with it. You don't apply it. You don't live it. You're going to lose even the understanding you had. So, what do we learn from the parable of the lamp? We need to hear the word. The light has to be seen. We need to hear it well. So let's pay careful attention to it. And do it. And that needs to be spread. Comments and questions? Do you think this has anything to do with the way he talks to them in parables? And how it's that makes it somewhat hidden, but you need to understand it? I felt like that's the context somewhat of... You know, like here it in Mark and stuff where this is, and he's talking about how he talks to them in parables so that it is hidden to some people, but I don't know. Could be. Yeah, it could be, especially from 17. But I think at any rate, he still wants us to spread it, you know, and it's still the light we need, but maybe so. Other thoughts? 19 to 21. So, Gary, with this, it's like there's no status quo. Either you're growing or you're stagnating. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. So either we're we're going up or down. All right, 19 to 21. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told to him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Well, his mother and brothers couldn't get to him because of the crowd. wonder why they were so eager to get to him. Doesn't it say in other places that they thought he was crazy and they were coming to take him home? Yeah, more or less. Put him in a nice little padded (laughs) room. Well, maybe not quite that bad, but yeah. What were they worried about? He wasn't eating. Yeah, he's just, things are so hectic. He just needs some time away. You know, he's getting a little too wrapped up in his work. That's what we think from the other Gospels. And so they tell Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You know... Uh, well, yeah, it's like, so what's he saying there? What's he saying about his family? It's not necessarily the one he was born into. Yeah, it's not. It's those that hear and do his will. Is that the way for him to treat his mother and his brothers? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean... You know, he's going to say later on in Luke that we've got to put Jesus above our family. And Peter and the others said they left their family to follow Jesus. Um, You know, so, I mean, really, Jesus' word defines family. You know, our family uh, are, are those that serve God. 
And those are the ones we ought to feel the closest to, the ones we have, ought to have the deepest attachment to. We struggle with that a little bit. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, we kind of twist Christianity to get it to promote the agenda we want it to. So, like, family values. You know, and we can easily get it to where, you know, it, it, the, the the gospel is really just to give us good, strong families. We want good family units. We want, you know, well, do we need to do what God wants us to do in our families? Yes. But is that really the goal? Is the goal to get our family to be a wonderful, strong, close family? No, our goal is to serve God and please God and be in His family. And that's really the thing that matters. Um... So Jesus, who's telling his disciples in Luke 14 to love God more than their family, models that attitude first. That's his, you know, his closeness was to those who did the will of God, not to his physical family. But that still is disconcerting for us. I think, I think we need to listen more when Jesus does things like this and reflect on it. Because that's easy for us to give too much allegiance to our physical family. That can become too important to us. Um, I'm just working, I think I can tell this, no Brazilian probably will hear the English, uh, working with a girl in Brazil, really fine, wonderful girl, she's probably 25, 24 maybe, and uh, the strangest thing, but she has a very controlling mom, she's actually studying to be a doctor, but she's developed an interest in a fine boy in another part of Brazil who's a Christian, and her mom loved her liking boys, but not this one, you know. And so I was going to buy her a ticket to go to Porto Alegre Studies, which she's done from time to time. And her father wrote me two days ago and said, don't buy her a ticket to go to Porto Alegre, and if you bought it, just cancel it. But it wasn't her father. It was her, on her mother's account. It was written, the, the last word was her father's name, but I'm sure it was her mother who wrote that. And uh, so, you know, it's like, wow. I've been communicating with her and said, what do you want me to do about this? And she said, if you would call my dad and talk to him, it would be nice. <laughs> she said she's really struggling with what they're doing with her. And right now she's living at their expense, not at their house. And so I've told her before, she may have to quit for you know, school and just get a job if she wants to be truly independent and be able to do those things. Theoretically, the parents are Christians and should want her to go to this study. But they basically made the rule, now she can't go to any study if her father doesn't go with her. Because I don't even think this boy is going to the study. But they don't want her anywhere that they can't watch him. And he's a good he's a good guy. And there's no indication they've done anything wrong. Uh, but, you know, that's challenging. The idea of, you know, my spiritual family means more than my physical family. But that's exactly what Jesus shows and does here. And uh, But notice also this. What does he say? My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Look back at chapter 6, verse 47, where he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them is like the man that builds his house on the rock. The one who hears and doesn't act like the one who builds his house without any foundation. The importance of hearing and doing. And then look at 1128. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So what is Jesus looking for? Does he want a bunch of scribes who know all about the law? 
He wants mostly what? Workers. Servants, yeah. He wants people who do it. That's exactly right. You know, we need, he wants people who act on the word they receive. Hours of praying and reading of the Bible won't bring us closer to God unless we do what he says. That's the way to be close to the Lord. That's exactly right. Now, what about the Catholic view of, you know, you can, you pray to Mary because Mary really understands. She's a woman and she's compassionate. And you know how close a son is to his mother. And if Mary puts in a good word for you, then you know that Jesus will listen. That, I don't know, that close to the Catholic practical view? Pretty much yes. it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What would you say about that, given this passage? <laughs> he doesn't listen to his mother. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This whole idea that, well, you know how a mother always has a special influence over her son? Well, apparently not in this case. Wouldn't even come outside the house to see her. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to say Jesus is trying to hurt his mother. But he clearly doesn't give his mother authority to tell him what to do in his work for the Lord. You know, if, if her idea was she's going to force him to go back home and get some rest, it didn't work. You know, he does what his father wants him to do, not what his earthly mother wants him to do. I had other thoughts and comments on that. Actually, that was one thing that kind of strikes you when you think about it. It's mother and brothers, mother and brothers, mother and brothers, but it's never my father. I mean, he doesn't, and it's not just because Joseph is apparently out of the picture, but he's talking about his heavenly father, so he doesn't, he he gives no one that um, authority or title or... Yeah, how many times? You know, he it, he'll he'll say, "You are my mother. You are my brother." But he'll never say to any human, "You are my father." Yeah, because it's such a relationship. Because how many times does Jesus speak of his father? You know, he talks about his father a lot, especially in the Gospel of John. And who's he talking about? You know, so I mean, who should we consider our family? You know, it ought to be. Our spiritual family. That's really our family. That's the ones we're closest to. And, and I mean, that's a wonderful blessing, but it's also a great challenge. And so our whole goal is to be close to our Heavenly Father. You know, we, we, we act in our physical families to honor the Lord the way He asks us to. But when it comes to who we really cherish is our family. It's those that we have you know, the Lord in common with. And that's that's the way Jesus was. And you look at 11.28, is that same idea. 11.27, while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So the woman said, Blessed is Mary. He said, No, not really. Blessed are those who hear and observe the word of God. So, I mean, Jesus is consistently not showing to Mary that special close respect and honor and all that, that the Catholics would say that that he does. Um, so their whole premise is really wrong. 
my thoughts and comments on all this. Does Josephus have anything to say about when Joseph died? No, I don't think so. I don't think Josephus ever mentioned Joseph or Mary. So do we know? I mean, we are assuming, I think, a reasonable assumption that the fact that Joseph doesn't seem to pop up in these uh, accounts of Jesus' ministry, but his mother and brothers do, and sometimes his sisters, is probably evidence that he wasn't, wasn't still around, but we don't really know that. But if, I mean, why is his mother always, you know, and his brothers, but never his father? So, could be other explanations. I was going to say, if you follow the, the Catholic tradition, then, then Joseph was a very old man when he married Mary, because... Because he had another family. ...actual Mary marriage. <laughs> You're right. Because he had other children through mm-hmm. former marriage, yeah. Because they don't want to accept the fact that Jesus had real brothers and sisters. Because Mary was a perpetual virgin. But all that was Catholic doctrine, not Bible doctrine. Alright, well why don't we stop here and we'll uh, save the American Amazing Miracles section for next week.